Some time ago, I had a conversation with a little girl who was hurting like hell. Her mom and dad had gotten divorced, and the girl, who I'll call Princess, was still reeling from the shock. She hurt so badly, she couldn't even bring herself to say that dreadful D word. Princess loved her parents like all kids do. She'd been hoping and praying for months they would settle their differences, but they hadn't. And now she wondered out loud, does prayer make any difference? Is God even there? Many of us struggle with spiritual depression when our heartfelt prayers seem to go unanswered. We keep our doubts hidden, even from ourselves, because we're afraid that such doubts mean we're not good Christians. And we just stop praying because we're not sure that praying makes a difference. All this reminds me of an old rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. By the way, shame on us for knowing that rhyme more than we know what's in this book. (laughs) But um, isn't that so true, that rhyme about how we often feel that after praying and praying and not seeing any change, we figure that not even God can piece together the broken bits of our miserable lives. If you ever felt like this, I have good news for you today. This summer we're learning how the apostles prayed. One of these prayers by Paul in Ephesians is our focus today. It's a sort of scaffolding we're standing on to help us just pray and never stop dreaming. Paul wrote this prayer while locked up in a Roman prison cell. I've stood inside the dark cave-like cell where it's believed he was held captive. For years he had endured persecution and hardship as he carried the message of Jesus to the far corners of the Roman world. Paul's preaching sparked revivals and riots wherever he went. But in spite of intense suffering, his praying radiates optimism. Paul is absolutely certain that God is in charge, that the best is yet to come. He sees himself and the readers of his letter as actors in a great drama written by God, a story with a very happy ending. Let's read through the key parts of Paul's prayer, beginning with a prelude. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. In him, we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's found in Ephesians chapter 1, in case you want to look at it in your pew Bible. Did you ever notice how this prayer begins with praise to God? It's normal to feel anxious when we're suffering. But Paul's worries evaporate as he considers God's gracious plan to adopt us as his sons and daughters. 
and repair our broken lives. We've made a mess, but God is on the move. And there's a glorious spring cleaning just around the corner. As Paul says elsewhere, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. No wonder this prayer feels like Paul is literally dancing in his tiny cell as he prays it. Paul likes the word predestination to describe God's redemptive purpose. I find the word incredibly comforting, but it may seem strange. Predestination is a big part of God's good news because it means that my restoration to wholeness doesn't depend on my willpower or my strength. My weakness and inability are irrelevant. Salvation is determined by God's will, period. And since God's power is ultimate, absolutely nothing can block his beautiful plan for me coming true. Consider Tolkien's classic story, The Lord of the Rings. The world is threatened with destruction, but little hobbits are chosen to be forerunners of the new era. In spite of treachery and fierce opposition, they keep pushing forward on their mission to destroy a dangerous ring because they are sure that a happy ending has been determined. By the end of a long and winding story, not only will all the good things they've ever dreamed of come true, but as Sam says to Frodo, every sad thing will come untrue. The prelude continues. The prelude continues. That's the next slide. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. It sounds like everything ever blighted by evil is going to be reclaimed by God, putting all things in heaven and earth back together again. Not right away, not all at once, but in the end, when the times have reached their fulfillment. If this is so, we'll need a new Humpty Dumpty. What do you think of this version? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Humpty Dumpty shouted, Amen! God can put me together again. Amen. Amen. That's what Paul would write, isn't it? Now we come to Paul's actual prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. There's no need to keep stumbling around in the cold and dark, not knowing that my house is sitting on top of a lost gold mine, not knowing I've got the winning Powerball ticket in my pocket. This is a wake-up prayer. Wake up and see the immense inheritance God has provided, the glorious restoration of all his sons and daughters. 
Paul goes on. This power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, his fullness, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now we see what proof Paul offers of the happy ending toward which God is moving his creation. It's the fact that God has already given us his son to mend the jagged fractures between heaven and earth and that we can see how his love is spreading out and filling everything in every way. When we pray, we orient ourselves by the redemption accomplished outside of us 2,000 years ago, apart from our effort, upon a life I never lived, upon a death I never died, I base my whole eternity. Christ is my substitute. He defeated death on my behalf. He died for me. He rose for me. He lives for me. Christ reigns in heaven as the all-powerful Messiah who shares God's throne, overcoming every destructive power for me and for you and for little princess and for her mom and dad too. Now Paul continues. He's getting really warmed up now. For this reason I kneel before the Father. And now we're in chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. In the latter part of Paul's prayer, we see an interesting shift. The Christ who dwells in heaven at God's right hand also wants to live in us. The redemption that God accomplished outside of me needs to be applied inside of me. The Christ of history is also the Christ who dwells in our hearts through faith. Let's see how this works, this dwelling of Christ in our hearts. Jesus is the model man who lived in total dependence on God. The Gospels tell about his everyday prayer life. As an actor in the divine drama, his role had been scripted ahead of time by his heavenly Father. And that's why he was always listening for cues from the master playwright. He says, I do nothing on my own. Following God's cues, Jesus loved and cared for the scallywags and sufferers God placed in his path. His unconditional love for the abused and the abuser led him finally to the cross of Calvary where, like my little princess, he wondered why God had forsaken him. But even while stretched out in agony, 
His childlike trust in God enabled him to pray through tears, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus knew he was part of a true fairy tale written by God. He knew God's story is like a mighty river rushing down from mountain glaciers, relentlessly pushing past every obstacle as it seeks its goal. He knew God's ultimate promise and purpose cannot be thwarted. So he followed his father's cues and trusted and prayed and waited and watched and, yes, suffered and died. Finally, Sunday morning, he became the first man to see God's happy ending. Paul continues his prayer. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of God of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's vast reconstruction project is powered by love alone because God is love. So Paul prays that Christ's followers might be rooted and grounded in love. He asks God to show us how wide and long and high and deep his love really is. Bible translations, frankly, struggle to express the extravagant dimensions of God's love. Early Christians noted that these dimensions match the shape of a cross. They saw a horizontal pole stretched out wide and long to embrace all nations and every sin-scarred individual. They saw a vertical pole pointed deep into the earth, the realm of the dead, as it simultaneously points high to heaven, reconnecting us to the immortal God. Frederick Lehman composed a hymn while meditating on Paul's prayer. It was World War I. The nations were engaged in bloody conflict, and Lehman's son was missing in action. War is hell. And here's what Lehman wrote. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Oh, love of God, the love of God is greater far. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. That's poetry for a little girl whose world is falling apart. Layman's hymn echoes the biblical vision of an eternal love connecting heaven and earth and reaching to the lowest hell. From earliest Christian times, believers have affirmed in the Apostles' Creed that after Christ was crucified and buried, he descended into hell to proclaim God's victory in the realm of the dead and release its captives. Consequently, Christ's followers have been willing to follow the Lord to the hellish places of this world, the gutters of Calcutta, the dark alleys of Chicago, the divorce courts of Iowa, the promenade of Nice, horrid haunts of the living dead, 
where Jesus still embraces the suffering to show that they too are beloved of God. In God's story, the love that heals creation is meant to to flow through human channels. So Paul prays for us to be filled with this relentless, overcoming love for the sake of the world. In Paul's very words, to be filled with the fullness of God. God wants to pour his love into our hearts so it will overflow in all directions, everywhere, until every ugly, putrid, evil thing is buried and washed away in a flood of grace. Paul comes to his climax. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think or imagine according to, his, to the power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The climax of Paul's prayer is doxology, giving glory to God for the restoring love that goes beyond our wildest dream. This isn't a pipe dream. It's not hyperbole. Paul isn't overly optimistic. He's just remembering what Jesus himself promised. Everything is possible for him who believes, Mark 9.23. Jesus not only believed that everything is possible when God sets out to save, he demonstrated it. Jesus endured the cross and rose from the grave, and now he's ruling in heaven and dwelling in our hearts to ensure that every grave will be emptied and every sad story will come untrue. Since God's plan to save the world goes beyond our wildest dreams, you can bet that anything you can imagine in accord with his plan to reconcile everything in heaven and earth will be done. God's glorious new world has already touched down in the mouth of an empty Judean tomb. Sooner or later, the life-giving presence of Emmanuel, God with us, will cover the whole earth. Our dreams of a new world where every wrong is made right are not crazy. They're actually fragments of the great master dream. God's final words in the Bible are these. Behold, I make all things new. God's invincible, triumphant grace means we never have to stop dreaming. In fact, maybe we should start calling this place the Dream Center. Recall the basic points. God is all-powerful. His redeeming purpose for the world is predestined, and a happy ending is certain. Two, God is all-loving. Even when I suffer, he is shaping circumstances for my good as well as for the ultimate restoration of everything damaged by sin. Three, God is eternal. He's able to, make, to take all the time needed to accomplish his dream, both in this age and in the age to come. So with Paul's great prayer as a framework 
and with Christ dwelling in my heart, here's how I'm going to keep praying and dreaming no matter what. Through prayer, I take my place inside God's story. I listen for his cues in the eternal drama. Prayer becomes pure adventure as I watch for the ways Jesus is at work to make everything right. I realize that my faith is one of the indispensable threads in God's growing fabric of the new world. I'm a channel of grace. Every story has tension and conflict and things that go horribly wrong, but I don't give up because God's love and power are unstoppable. Knowing I can't change the broken stuff that I can't be in control, I cry out to God for grace. I cling to my Father in the midst of the chaos. I remember the words of St. Augustine who said, the best disposition for prayer is, the best disposition for prayer is that of being desolate, forsaken, stripped of everything. I bring my mess with me into prayer and dump it on God. No matter how horrendous, there's no pit so deep that his love is not deeper still. I keep looking and praying to see Jesus in those broken places. I shift my focus from worry to watching. I'm looking for the grades of grass, the blades of grass that eventually spring up through the cracks in the concrete. I love the suffering souls around me, aware that God is suffering along with all of us. Here are the words of Paul E. Miller, whose book, The Praying Life, inspired some of the ideas in today's sermon. He writes, When you stop trying to control your life, you watch God weave his pattern in the story. You realize you're in God's drama. As you wait, you see him work, and your life sparkles with wonder. You're learning to trust again. To finish things up, I want to go back to the sweet girl who told me she'd given up praying. Here's my response to the princess. First, don't be embarrassed at how weak you feel. It's okay to be helpless. In fact, the first step into God's kingdom is when you realize you can't do life on your own and you can't fix the broken things. Your depression is the doorway to God. Don't run away from him when you're hurting. Instead, run toward him. Second, little princess, our Father in heaven has written a true fairy tale with a happy ending, and you and your mom and dad are part of it. He's a God of pure love and giving, and he's promised to get rid of every speck of hatred and selfishness in the universe. Your dream of sweet harmony between those you love is not silly at all. It's God's dream too for the whole universe and it will certainly come true. Princess, don't worry if this dream takes a long time to come true. God has lots of broken hearts to mend. We're stubborn, self-centered people so it may take God a while to accomplish his goal. God has to take us through much toil and trouble to rid us of selfishness. 
Sometimes his love feels like a scorching fire, but that's how he purifies us. Maybe you'll see a lot of healing come true in this life, and maybe just a little. Maybe the process of making us whole will extend beyond this age into the age to come. But you can be sure of this. There's no hatefulness in heaven. And when you get there, your mom and dad, with your mom and dad someday, you'll all love and respect each other again. God is more powerful than our stubborn hearts, and he doesn't give up on any of us. So keep praying, dear one. Don't demand that the story go just the way you think it should. Trust the storyteller. Look for the ways that God is working in the story. Even if it hurts like hell, stay in the story. There's no gain without pain. Let Christ dwell in your heart and teach you how to love your family through the good and bad of life. God will use your love for your mom and dad as part of their healing, and God will use their love to heal your heart too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I've got a few uh, helpers now to, we're going to sing a little song to sum up this prayer. And this song is written by John Foley. called Dwelling Place. Testing. The song is called Dwelling Place. and peace 
We're going to practice uh, praying Paul's prayer together. Thank you, uh, Bruce, for helping with this part. The way that we're doing this is we're, um, I'm going to be reading Paul's actual prayer. And, um, and then as a pattern of how we can use this prayer as a scaffolding or a structure for our prayers, Bruce will be giving it his own interpretation as he takes it to God. Let's bow our heads. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Lord, I do come to you this morning humbled and in need. Lord, I just look to your riches. I look to your grace. I look to your promises to hear my prayer. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Lord, I know that you're in your heart, in my heart. I can feel your spirit course through me. Lord, your love is greater than anything I have ever experienced in my life. And, Lord, I need it today. We pray to know this love that surpasses knowledge, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, I know that you will take the needs that I have and that you will fulfill them in your way. And, Lord, I just give them all over to you today. Lord, take those. Take them from me. Release me from this burden And let me live a joy-filled life in your love. Now to him who is able to to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord, I walk away from this place knowing that you have my back in full confidence that the things that I have in my life and the things of those people around me who are worried and struggling as well, knowing full well, Lord, that you are in control. Glory be to your name. Amen. Amen. 